Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A dog is fatally poisoned in Waterford. The Bulldogs are literally packing their bags. Election interference is back in the headlines. You might want to file your tax return soon if you haven't already. Stand-up funny man Dane Cook joins us to talk about his latest tour. And take me out to the ball game. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. LPP are investigating after this uh, two-year-old French Mastiff was poisoned and died last month near uh, Port Dover. Extremely sad situation, and now police are trying to find out who did this. Ed Sanchuk is a constable with Ontario Provincial Police and joins us now on GMH. Constable Sanchuk, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on this morning. Thanks for coming on. Can can you recap what has happened? Yeah, basically what I can tell you is that uh, the Ontario Police Norfolk County Attachment is continuing to investigate an animal cruelty complaint after a family dog died after being poisoned at a Bruce Street Waterford address. A little background about the investigation, just uh, around March 16th, just shortly after 1.30 in the afternoon, the OPP received a call from the victim advising that their two-year-old French Mastiff named Bain uh, was rushed to a local veterinary hospital where their dog had been pronounced deceased. Um, as a result of further tests conducted by the uh, clinic, uh, the OPP have just been informed that the animal has ingested a large amount of poison. So we are continuing to investigate. Uh, when officers started the investigation, um, they continued to investigate all the way through, however, uh, up until until we received the report of the actual uh, ingestion of the poison uh, is when we were looking to the public for their assistance. So we're asking anyone that may have any information in the surrounding areas, you know, Waterford, someone may have spoken about this, uh, to pick up that phone, have that courage, and give police a call or Crime Stoppers to be anonymous. So where did this happen? Was the dog in its backyard? Uh, to believe that the dog uh, ingested the poison in its own backyard, that's correct, yes. So there is literally no chance that this was an accident? Uh, it doesn't appear that way, no, and that's where we're hoping that the public can come into play here, where uh, someone can provide us some inf- information. Um, obviously, it's very troublesome. Um, I've got a family dog as well. I live out in the country, and obviously there are critters out here, and it's unbeknownst to me as well if people are putting down any type of poison to control that on their property. Um, but again, I know for a fact that uh, after speaking to officers, um, it, it, it's 100%, <laughs> pretty much 100% that the, that, that Bain uh, picked up the poison in his own backyard. So as you're investigating this, does this backyard back onto a park, another street? Uh, what, can uh, you it, give us a lay of the land? A large, it's quite a large property, so uh, we're, we're just looking at the public right now. Obviously, we are continuing to investigate. Um, I can't go into too many details with regards to the investigation, however, um, we are seeking public assistance with this. Um, officers did go door-to-door in the surrounding area, but we are asking anyone that lives in the area of Bruce Street and Waterford if they did have video surveillance or if they know someone that has spoken about this or have uh, talked about this recently, uh, to please give us a call. We'd like to hear from them. Yeah, I was going to uh, allude to the, the video surveillance uh, aspect of it, whether it's uh, a dash cam, a door cam, some kind of security camera. Has anyone come forward yet? Uh, nothing I'm aware of. Uh, I know officers did do canvassing and originally at the original call, so I know that we've covered off all the bases there. Um, but again, we we do have people in the community that will know something about this, and we just need them to have the courage to come forward and speak to investigators. Better yet, if they wish to remain anonymous and provide that information, they can contact Crime Stoppers and be eligible for a cash reward. We're talking about the uh, fatal poisoning of a dog in Norfolk County with OPP Constable Ed Sanchuk here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How is the dog's owner doing? You know, I spoke to him yesterday and uh, very upset, uh, very, you know, it, this isn't just a dog. This is a, this is a family member. And, uh, I, you know, regardless of, uh, it's just a pet. It's not, it's more than just a pet. And uh, I was, you know, I felt, I felt terrible for this family. My heart broke for this family, you know, um, speaking to the owner yesterday, uh, very emotional on the phone with me and uh, still emotional about what's happened to his animal. So, you know, it's just, we need the people, we need people in our community to step forward 
And, uh, to know, we want to try and bring some type of resolution to the family. Do we have any thoughts on a potential motive for this? Uh, right now, it would be part of the investigation. I'm not, I'm not aware of one right now. But, again, uh, you know, I, 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 in 24 years in this job, I've seen a bunch of variety of things. And, unfortunately, you know, this is uh, one of them. I've, this is not the first time I've seen an animal be poisoned. Um, but, again, there is somebody in our community that does have information that needs just to have that courage to step forward. Absolutely. Constable Sanchuk really appreciates uh, the update this morning. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thank you very much. Have a great day and have a good weekend. You too. That is Constable Ed Sanchuk, Ontario Provincial Police. What a horrible story. Here's a dog in its own backyard, minding its own business. And, uh, you know, you can you picture this in your mind, maybe something thrown over the fence or in the backyard and the dog ingests this, dies, and now a family is crushed at losing a family member and is obviously pleading for help with the help of OPP. So if you know of something, have heard about it, and maybe have some information, whether you think it's big or small, give Crime Stoppers a call or call uh, OPP to say, hey, I, I potentially have some information that might assist in this investigation. That has to be uh, absolutely crushing for this family. Hey, the dog is just two years of age as well. Um. Yeah, really troubling, really troubling story here on Good Morning Hamilton. But uh, you can get more details on our uh, online story, 900CHML.com. And uh, again, if you have any info on that, contact police or Crime Stoppers. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900CHML. After being eliminated from the OHL playoffs on Monday, the Bulldogs are now preparing to leave Hamilton for Brantford this offseason. It's going to be the first time since 1996 that the Dogs will not call Hamilton home. Michael Anlauer is the longtime owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML. Mr. Anlauer, good morning. Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Your team played its last game on uh, Monday night, that uh, playoff loss against uh, Barry, and it was really an entertaining way to go out, even though it was a heartbreaking one. Um, what comes to mind when you look back at more than two decades of Bulldogs hockey in Hamilton? Um, it, yeah, it was quite the emotional game, uh, both uh, from a scoreboard standpoint, holding a 3 nothing lead, and then uh, which is... Typical in junior hockey, which makes it so exciting, and then uh, and then losing with nine seconds to go, but uh, um, it was a, it was a it was t- it was an emotional time for me, uh, having been personally in that in that arena, cut my teeth in hockey and management of hockey, ownership in hockey, at over twenty years ago, and all the great uh, memories. So for me, uh, I typically watch the game in the press box, so then. I actually stayed there a little longer than usual, uh, and just uh, uh, looked at looked at the arena, uh, looked at the banners, looked at the certain parts of the rink where I remember some some great uh, great plays and and the fans and and um, uh, the great memories that we uh, that Hamilton had uh, over the past twenty years. So it was uh, it was an emotional moment for me. It was by myself, and and it was. Uh, um, that's that's how I uh, that's what I, I took out of that game and then uh, uh, and then addressed the players after the game and and uh, but it was it was a long night uh, um, some of our some of our staff have been with me for uh, including our team doctor who has been there since 1996 uh, took some pictures together on the ice. Um, like I said, it's it's just it's filled with so, so many great memories. I can imagine. Does 
Does the term Branford Bulldog still sound weird? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I can't, I can't, uh, uh, I'm excited because of, of, of the reception that we've, we've gotten from, from Branford. Um, they've been absolutely amazing to work with and, and accommodating allow us, <laughs> allow us to have a place to play. Um, but there's no doubt. I mean, it's going to, I'm sure many times it'll, will be, it'll be accidentally said, you know, Hamilton Bulldogs, uh, yeah, I mean, if it was if it wasn't a mouthful, it could have been called the Hamilton Bradford Bulldogs. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, like I said, Bradford's been amazing in in uh, allowing us to, uh, uh, to to have a home uh, for next year. And uh, and uh, so it, yeah, it will be it'll be strange, but I'm, it, it's going to be um, it, like everything else. We adapt to change, and and we uh, and. Um, Looking forward to bring a championship to Brantford. When do you officially make the move to Brantford? When do you have to vacate First Ontario Centre? Um, I believe our, our lease ends in, at the end of June. Uh, typically, our, our uh, hockey year ends or, or July to July. Uh, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, the ice is out, and it's out, uh, out for good now. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the office staff, you have to ask our office folks that. Uh, but our players are, are um, <clears throat> year-end meetings were yesterday, and uh, you know, pretty much the hockey op stuff is going to, you know, probably get packed. And lots of packing. You know, when you're in the same home for 20 years, you got a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, you collect a lot of stuff. Well, including Absolutely. trophies, right? Well, yeah, the trophies are no longer in the, in the house. I don't think. Uh, I know the banners are; they're, they're tucked away in the corner there of the building. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's uh, mm-hmm. very bittersweet uh, for sure. We got for thirty. Sure. We got thirty seconds. I know Bulldogs fans are wondering what are the odds the Hamilton Bulldogs will be a reality once again in three years' time, or maybe even a little bit after that. That's truly up to the city. Like I said, I never, I never. Uh, I never asked to, to leave Hamilton. Like I said, I, I, my experience in Hamilton has been absolutely amazing. You know, this this building was supposed to be renovated. Uh, a mandate was two years ago, over two years ago, and they still haven't done anything. And, I, and, it, and it come it come to my understanding that I wouldn't be surprised if if they haven't started by the time our season ends next year. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, don't want to leave on a better note. Uh, I, I love I love the city. I was I was always told that Hamilton couldn't work. Junior hockey couldn't work uh, by some people in the know. And uh, Hamilton has been absolutely amazing. And we've we've proven that uh, Hamilton truly is a is a junior uh, hockey. Uh, um, a great junior hockey city. It absolutely is, and we know that. We know one thing. The Bulldogs brand is strong. You've produced a number of NHL and other pro hockey players. Massive impact in the community with the Bulldogs Foundation, and it's all thanks to people like you, Michael, who have purchased the team, made it grow, grow, grew the fan base, gave back to the community, and we hope to have you back sometime soon, but we do know that a lot of Hamiltonians will be going to Brantford to support the Bulldogs. We'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time. And I appreciate that. And I just on one note, the, the foundation is here to stay. So that's, yes. that's, uh, that's something that we can always remember. That is awesome news. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. All right. All the best. That is Michael Anlauer, owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. 
from 900 CHML. The conversations I have with my chief of staff and with uh, my entire government and with our defense and security experts are ongoing. Uh, we have been talking about foreign interference for years. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Making that statement as Katie Telford, his chief of staff, is getting ready to testify later on today uh, before the Procedure and House Affairs Committee about foreign interference. And as you heard from the PM, they've been talking about it for Years. Dr. Tom Bateman is a professor and coordinator of the Law, Politics, and Society program at St. Thomas University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Bateman, good morning. How are you? Very good, thanks. Rick, how are you? I'm good. What are you expecting to hear later on today? I am expecting to hear a very smooth, well-briefed chief of staff uh, address uh, some of the concerns about uh, alleged Chinese interference in Canadian election um, activity, but uh, I'm not sure how forthcoming she will be. Uh, she will, um, of course, protect uh, her prime minister. That's job one for her. And the second is that uh, she will frequently note that national security concerns prevent her from saying all that she knows. So it's going to be a bit of a, a ducking um, action on her part while at the same time she wants to um, give enough information to communicate that she is um, honest and transparent and um, not hiding anything. The uh, Prime Minister has been questioned about this for well, a, a few months at least and really hasn't been that forthcoming in, in what he knew and when he knew it. And I'm sure we're going to hear the same from Ms. Telford. Uh, it has been a political shell game at times, uh, which is not surprising. Um, in saying that, is it a good look for the government? Because this is a serious issue. It is uh, very serious, um, and it's serious in a couple of different ways, of course. Um, uh, Canada is in a position to now have to figure out uh, who its friends are, and we have uh, made a bit of a, uh, a pastime of, of um, being sort of an honest player with, with many, many different countries, with many different interests, and uh, so we're geographically tied to the United States, but we have a very important trade relationship with China. Uh, we, uh, you know, we have um, an extraordinary multicultural population in Canada. Many people in Canada retain ties with their countries of origin. So we've, we've been um, trying to be above the fray uh, in international politics. Uh, this issue is going to um, make that a more complex uh, position for the country to hold. In addition, uh, uh, you know, um, Parliament is, a, is, a, is the political arena in the country. The Conservatives have an interest in embarrassing the government, showing it to be either inept or completely corrupt. And um, I think today's uh, theatre will uh, be about um, forcing... David Johnston, who's a special rapporteur on um, on on this issue, uh, to try to uh, force him to 
recommend a full public inquiry. I would say that would be the big thing the Conservatives uh, want to get out of today's proceedings. Dr. Tom Bateman is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Bateman is a professor at St. Thomas University, coordinator of the Law, Politics and Society program there. He mentioned David Johnston as the special rapporteur. Do you think Ms. Telford's testimony might tip the scales towards potentially that full public inquiry? Yeah, I think that is um, uh, certainly something she is aware of, and other members of that parliamentary committee also have that uh, um, other process in mind. So we'll um, we'll have to see whether she can lower the temperature on this whole issue or whether the exchanges this afternoon are going to create some momentum for the Conservatives uh, to press more uh, credibly for uh, a much larger inquiry in which more people can be subpoenaed to um, release more information about what actually has been going on. And the idea here, of course, is uh, what does the government know? When did it learn about things? And what has it done or not done in reaction to the information about Chinese activity that it does have in its possession. So so that's what we're going to learn a bit more about today, and we'll see if we're going to get a bunch of platitudes and generalities or whether we're going to get some specific information on that point. Yeah, that last part is a big one, too, because the Prime Minister yesterday, and we played the clip, say, saying that they've known about it for years. The question is, why was nothing done about it? Exactly. Exactly. So maybe uh, Ms. Telford is going to um, outline some things uh, that have been done about it. Uh, we'll see. We shall see. And that'll be the interesting part, too. Do you, do you think there is, or at least this committee is going to try to uncover some kind of smoking gun? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, there are a few things uh, sort of swirling around. One is the uh, Ontario MP Han Dong, who now has removed himself from the Liberal caucus under concerns about his relationship with the government of China. We have uh, some uh, concerns about monies filtered into Liberal candidate campaign coffers, uh, those monies having some source uh, with the Chinese. Uh, We have some concerns about the Trudeau Foundation, with which Justin Trudeau has been associated for many years. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, things going around. We have um, uh, unnamed sources in Canada's security establishment uh, giving information to the Global Mail and to Global News about uh, Chinese interference. So uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke about, <laughs> and um, let's see where the fire is. Yeah, there's a lot of glowing embers as well, that is for sure. Dr. Bateman, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate our chat this morning. Thanks for your time, and enjoy the weekend. Thank you very much. And it's Dr. Tom Bateman. He is a professor and a coordinator of the Law, Politics, and Society program at St. Thomas University. I think at the end of the day, we're going to want to know, you know, when exactly did the PM and his chief of staff and the government as a whole know about this and what has been done? Because it sounds like nothing really has been done. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tens of thousands of employees with the Public Service Alliance of Canada are in a legal strike position right now 
And that includes workers at the Canada Revenue Agency who voted in favor of their own strike mandate a week ago today. The union's contract demands are mind-blowing in terms of the dollar figure when you look at the overall dollar amount. $9.3 billion with a B. Here's the national president of the union, Chris Aylward. These are not high-paid senior executives. The majority of our members are women making between forty dollars and $65,000 a year. Not the kind of salaries that can withstand being rolled back. Uh, forty and sixty-five k. That's that's not a bad range. I mean, there's a lot of people that make a lot less than that. Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Franco, good morning. Hey, good morning. And let me just jump right into it because something isn't adding up here, right? Because the parliamentary budget officer is the government's own independent budget watchdog. It's nonpartisan. It's not a union. It's not a part of the you know a union. Um, advocacy. It's not a Canadian Taxpayers Federation advocacy group. It's right down the middle, just looks at the numbers. And the PBO says that the average compensation for a federal bureaucrat every year is $125,000. Now, PSAC represents about 120,000 federal government employees. So something really isn't adding up when uh, the president there says between 40 and 65K. So we'd like to, you know, maybe let's take a look at those numbers a little bit closer here because for the most part, federal government employees are very, 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 very well compensated. CTF has done an analysis of PSAC's wish list and you found, well, you found some uh, some creative negotiating uh, uh, items that they're trying <laughs> yeah, I mean, to get from the government. To put it mildly, to put it mildly, right? I mean, the PSAC is pushing for up to 47% compensation increase over three years. And some of the reasons that number is so big is because of the crazy benefits that they're asking for. I mean, number one, they want more money if you work past 4 p.m. And, and again, this is for program administrative services. And, and you know, who that has an office job in the real world isn't working past 4 p.m. But another one that really strikes me is what they call a social justice fund. So they want taxpayers through the government, through these negotiations, to pay money into a a union-controlled advocacy social justice fund. Now, they've already used this fund to send members to climate conferences in Madrid, in Cancun. They've even used the fund to publish a report advocating for higher business taxes. So to me, this sounds completely unacceptable, right? Canadians have a right to advocate on issues that they deem important, but they should be doing it with their own money, not with taxpayers' money. You also found as well that for laid-off staff, they're requesting money for education purposes. Up to $17,000. They want up to $17,000 in an education fund for laid-off employees. I mean, these are the types of perks, whether it's more money if you work past 4 p.m., money into a union-controlled social justice fund, a up to $17,000 education fund for a laid-off employee. I mean, these are the types of perks that are completely unimaginable for people who are working for a business or who are working for themselves. And and all of this comes on top of even other crazy uh, demands, like all overtime being paid out at double time, like two weeks of pay time off, or get this one, accrual of four weeks of vacation after working for four years. You know, how many people have to work their whole lives 
to get that type of vacation benefit. And they want their employees to be getting that after only working four years. Sounds like a sweetheart deal. And as the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, I'm imagining that you are pleading with the government to not buckle. Oh, more than not buckle. The government just needs to say no. Just straight out say no to many of these um, crazy benefits, crazy asks. And not just that, like we need our members of parliament here to speak out, right? Because it's one thing to, you know, want every Canadian to have a good livelihood. But what we're talking about here is outrageous. What we're talking about is government union negotiators who are trying to do, um, who are trying to get these benefits passed through the back door without Canadians knowing what's going on here. Because I think if most people, like your listeners, are hearing some of these benefits, um, I mean, they're, they're just so outrageous. And we also have to remember the context here, right? So many people just struggled through two years, three years of a pandemic. So many people are worried about a recession right around the corner. But in the federal bureaucracy, none of that applies. You had more than 300,000 federal government employees receive at least one pay raise during the pandemic. That's anywhere between 93 and 98 percent of all federal bureaucrats receiving a raise. And then not to mention, you have the government handing out hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses every single year, even when departments can't meet half of their own objectives. So you have people um, who are worried about missing meals in the private sector who would have to be paying huge um, compensation increases for people who aren't even worried about missing a pay raise or a bonus. Franco, appreciate your time and chiming in on this. Uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Well, thanks for having me on. That is Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. More often than not, we need an escape. Um, and lo and behold, this is perfect timing. You'll be able to escape and have a pretty good laugh tomorrow night at the OLG stage at Falls View Casino. Why? Well, that's because Dane Cook, a renowned stand-up comedian and actor, is going to be performing tomorrow, and he will no doubt have you in stitches. All the way from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Dane Cook. Good morning. How are you? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. I am a phenomenal. Glad to uh, see you in Niagara Falls, uh, entertaining the crowd. What can those who go to the show tomorrow night expect? Okay, well, first of all, I have to say this. I have been doing shows in and around that region for my entire career, which it's 31 years this month doing stand-up comedy. Um, and I remember early gigs, probably about four blocks away from where we're going to be doing this phenomenal show tomorrow night. I, I played a college, ready? I played a college hallway they hired me to perform stand-up comedy. <laughs> Quite literally, I was standing on something that looked like the the size of a uh, like a milk crate and standing and performing for students as they walked to and from class. So uh, we've come a long way since the formative years and we're excited to come back and do another big, big show back up at that spot, which is beautiful. That's cool. That escapism that I mentioned, you know, it, it's a wonderful thing that you and other entertainers, musicians, athletes provide a, an escape from our daily worries does that linger in the back of your mind as you're preparing for a show or even during or after one of your uh, performances? I'll tell you, like a lot of time, Rick, when I'm performing uh, in real time, I find myself sometimes saying and, and approaching the gig, much like the audience, it's like, I need this. I really need this. Uh, you know, the creative outlet to be able to take uh, material that you've owned uh, locally on, you know, on nightclub stages night after night, and you finally get to air it out and bring it out and show people around the world. 
but more often than not, it's something that is as necessary for my health and wellness to get up there and give give this everything I've got. The one thing that I love to do, and I never want to let myself down or not give it everything I've got because just like that audience that's sitting there needing those laughs, I, I need to provide that. That's pretty cool. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dane Cook. He's going to be performing live at the OLG stage at Falls View Casino tomorrow night, 9 p.m. start time. Get your tickets, ticketmaster.ca. Dane, which comedians inspired you to become a comedian? I remember watching Eddie Murphy one time, and I will tell you, you know, Eddie was saying something that was, you know, of course, we know stand-up comedy back in that uh, 80s era was pretty um, unbridled. I guess we could say today. Um, but I remember watching, you know, Eddie Murphy, and he seemed like not only was he having just the time of his life, but he was so concise in the use of words and the use of modulation and the use of uh, improv when the crowd responded in one way or didn't respond in one way. I found myself looking at somebody like Eddie as like the consummate professional and performer. And I will tell you, 24 years later, there I was at a premiere for a film that I did with Jessica Alba called uh, Good Luck Chuck, and who walked up the red carpet but Eddie Murphy. Wow. And I, I did not know Eddie per- personally. I never had a chance to perform with him. But he he came up. He said some really kind words to me about me and my career, and he knew I liked to work with the community. He appreciated that. And he's like, because of that, I wanted to show you some support. And then I'm sitting in the dark movie theater, and the very first funny thing that happened in the dark theater, I heard, <laughs> <laughs> and it was the greatest moment to have like this full circle. Somebody that was a a, a hero of mine uh, later come and support my show. You've been in a few Hollywood movies. You mentioned Good Luck Chuck, Mystery Man, Employee of the Month, Planes. Are we going to see you on the big screen again? You know, it's really about if there's great material, I'd love to work, but I I would never sell myself or my fans short. By jumping in and doing something that I thought was just ham-fisted and, and um, not properly put together. So, yes, I'd love to be doing more film work, but uh, I tend to turn down a lot because I feel it's a little derivative and sometimes not uh, where I've evolved to in my own life in comedy. On the on the Behind the camera, I've got a series that I'm getting ready to direct. And I've got a film that I'm also getting ready to star in indirect so probably more behind the camera work is as the stand-up comic tour wraps up i'll be jumping into something probably behind the camera our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml dane cook renowned stand-up comedian and actor he is going to be leaving you in stitches tomorrow night at 9 p.m that's the start time live at olg stage at falls view casino get your tickets today at ticketmaster.ca how much of you is in the stories that you share and the jokes that you deliver? Oh, more than ever, it's you know, and necessary because we're in a time where, you know, if you're going to be up there, especially if you're going to really swing for the fences and you're going to tell some outrageous stories and some things that either happen to you or from you, you've got to be able to own that first-person perspective. Um, I think audiences more than ever really want and, and demand that. So for me, it's really sharing uh, just that, you know, the new routine – is called Perfectly Shattered Tour for a reason. It's all the moments that kind of broke my life apart for the right reasons and all the places where I thought I had uh, a handle on whatever it was and proving myself wrong. So I think I probably, at my own expense, 
get the most laughs, but it is fun once in a while to to challenge the audience and say something that's a little outlandish just to kind of see how that sets. Last one for you, I'm, I'm keeping you here. Uh, is there going to be a Dane Cook above it all part two? Because, I mean, that comedy special was number one, so unique, and number two, extremely funny. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, we're actually editing it right now. The two nights that I had the privilege of working with the great Marty Culner, who directed uh, uh, the special. He also d- directed Vicious Circle, and isolated incident that I did in my career. We did enough material over those two nights that the, ho- the whole purpose was if the first one works and we feel like we captured lightning in a bottle, then let's put together that second night of material. So probably in the summer, if people want to check out DaneCook.com, they can follow suit and uh, see the new stuff when it drops. That is wicked. I also encourage our listeners to go to Ticketmaster.ca. Get your tickets for tomorrow night's Dane Cook live at the OLZ stage at Fallsview Casino. Dane, thanks for the time. Best of luck. Break a leg tomorrow night. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Should be a great show. Again, Ticketmaster.ca for your tickets and more on Dane Cook. Go to his website, danecook.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Great time to be at the ballpark if you've managed to find yourself at Rogers Center over the last couple of days taking in Jays Tigers. I'm sure you enjoyed that the roof was open and the Jays have been playing some pretty good baseball. There is, however, one particular seat at Rogers Center, even though it's gone through $300 million in renovations this offseason. There's one seat at the Dome that's not very good. In fact, it finds itself on the worst seat in baseball list. And this was compiled by the folks at bookies.com. They put together an algorithm that identified the worst seat at Major League Baseball stadiums. And some of them, many of them really, offer shocking views, if you can even call it a view. And yeah, Rogers Center is on the list. In fact, its seat, its worst seat, is in the bottom five, or the top five, wherever you want to look at this list. Bill Spiros is an award-winning journalist and editor at bookies.com and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Bill, good morning. How are you? Hey, uh, always happy to be up uh, early in the morning to talk baseball and gambling. Um, I was telling your your producer, you set a record. This is the first time in the history of radio that any shows ever had back-to-back natives of Arlington, Massachusetts uh, on his show. We're happy to Uh, do so. Dane Dane is our most famous resident, and I could be the most infamous one. you know, since I write about gambling for a living. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you on board. How was this list compiled? Well, uh, last year heading into the All-Star break, you know, everybody's always looking for, for different things to do. And in growing up a Red Sox fan, uh, I was well acquainted with, uh, and a Bruins Celtics fan as well, the old Boston Garden. Between the old Boston Garden and Fenway Park, I was well acquainted with obstructed view seats, uh, structural poles at the old garden there would be seats in the second level where the overhang would block half the ice you know so i i decided to you know oh what would be the worst seats in each ballpark and you know a lot of these things are always uh subjective so what what we did was i i came up with some data points and assigned each a value and i spent a couple of weeks um you know, I've been to about 10, uh, 10 current parks, and I've been to about 10 parks that are no longer with us. You know, so I, I thought, you know, what are the important things when you when you buy a ticket, aside from price? 
Uh, obviously, the view. I mean, can you can you see the action? Um, is there a good angle? Are you obstructed? How far are you from the plate? Uh, that obviously plays into it since 90% of the action is the pitcher uh, and the catcher. The angle of the seat. You know, there are seats in Fenway that face left field, that face the bleachers. Um, and then there's the element issue, which obviously isn't a concern for Rogers Center in most parks. Um, you know, so I scored that neutral for for a place like Rogers Center because the roof's going to be closed. And then there were the other two issues, proximity to concessions and restrooms, you know, how far they have to go to get a beer and um, how far they have to use the restroom. And then overall comfort. I mean, there are some ballparks where seats are very comfortable. And then there's Fenway Park, which has seats built for like uh, people with rickets in the 1930s. <laughs> so um I assigned a point value to all those and then went through um, what's really nice is even though you can't get to every, well, I couldn't get to every park. Most team websites have um, the, the software now where you could see the view from your seat. So, you know, I basically started looking at sections like, OK, what would what section would meet the criteria? And in, in the case of of Rogers Center, I, I looked at that, that section and. Uh, deep left field 540 and there was the the foul pole so you have the uh, you have a good combination there of of distance and potential obstruction and so it basically came down to trying to plot which seat had the had the foul pole between like covering the plate or the pitcher's mound and and I happened to to find that one particular seat where um because of the angle of of the the fair foul line and the pole, the seat, the view of the plate, you have to look through the foul pole and plus your, you know, I don't know how many feet or meters away from the plate you are. So that was a good combination of, of like all of the bad things. Yeah, that's so that seat at Rogers sort Center. sort of scored low because of that. Yeah, that seat at Rogers Center, you had a score of 21 out of 60. 60 out of 60 would be perfect. Uh, that's Section 540, Row 11, Seat 23, which, by the way, is $34. The, the worst seat on your list, and this is, this is probably, uh, you know, could be the worst seat in all of sports. Uh, we're approaching the 111th anniversary of the first game at Fenway Park, and while that Facility steeped in history, has all world charm, all sorts of character. It also has the worst seat in the big leagues with a lowly score of 17 out of 60. Tell us about this horrible seat. Well, of course, you know, I, as I say in the story, it's it's not the just the worst seat in baseball. It's the first seat in baseball. It's section one, row one, seat one at the oldest ballpark in the majors and actually the oldest uh, continual baseball stadium in North America believe it or not. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of irony there. Of course, this year, every seat in Fenway is the worst seat in baseball because you're watching the Red Sox, <laughs> who are terrible. Uh, and I can say that because I'm a Red Sox fan. So, uh, you know, that that's an irony there um, that, you know, that number, you know, that little numeric poetry comes back. Um, because, yeah, if, if you've ever sat in that seat, and I have sat in that seat, you're, you know, you're, you're looking the, the, the pole, we call them poles, they're steel girders. The pole pretty much covers like your field division is 180 degrees. The pole might cover 45 degrees and that 45 degrees is the pitcher's mound and the plate. So, um, you know, you it's a terrible seat. <laughs> it is. I actually got it. I actually got a, a tweet from someone who used to have tickets there and they made up t-shirts 
that said section one, there are no good seats. And it was a picture <laughs> from that seat. And, and the guy turned it into a T-shirt, which was like the craziest and most awesome thing I've ever seen. Well, we only got 20 seconds, Bill. I do want to ask you a betting question because you're at bookies.com. Tampa Bay roaring out to a 13-0 record. How has that improved their World Series odds? Well, the, um, the, the Rays were uh, mid I'd say maybe 15 to 1, 10 to 15 to 1 when the um when the season began and they're down to about 9 to 1 right now. Wow, so they made so, it So um it they've certainly helped. Um you know, that's a tough division and you know, if you can get out of the the AL East and avoid uh a wild card, which they're obviously headed to do avoid that first round. Uh, that's going to help, um, and I think a lot of people in uh, in the betting markets have taken notice of the depth and, and strength of their pitching. Absolutely, Bill. We really we got to run. Yeah, we got to run. I appreciate your time today. We're short for time, but uh, enjoy the weekend and the rest of the baseball season. Thank you so much for having me. That's Bill Spiros, award-winning journalist and editor at bookies.com. You can check out the story on that website. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.